we're going to be in 1 Kings 18 today, and while you turn there, I wanted to kind of talk for a second about that video, and you might have thought, maybe it was out of place, or maybe it was, I don't know what you thought about it, but I wanted you just to continue to have that idea of what can you do in the place where you live, or the place where you work, or the place where you play. What she was talking about specifically is where you live, but this series we're in is called Follower, What does it look like to follow God? And today and next week, we're specifically going to be answering the question, what can one follower do? And what she was talking about are the kind of things one person can do. And I think sometimes we're tricked into complacency in our culture or we fall into rhythms where we're just kind of going through the motions and doing the things that we can do and we buy into the lie sometimes that I can't do anything. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever just felt stuck? It's like I can't do anything. I'm stuck. Uh, Maybe you feel worthless. Maybe you feel unusable. Uh, I'm here to tell you that those things are lies. That's a lie. One person can make a difference. As we study and read through and talk about Elijah over the next couple weeks, we're going to see how one person can make a difference because Elijah made a great difference in what he did and how he lived and how he followed the Lord. Uh, And kind of on the note of that video, uh, some of you know I had a a meeting this week with the principal over at Elmwood Elementary, and after we had, well, faith, I say we, faith kind of did all the legwork on that, talking to the different schools and administrators around town and getting that all lined up. The, the, the principal there had said, we really want to get to know you. This is his first year. He's just moved here. His name's Matthew Lerner. Great guy. Uh, they moved here from Rockford. This is his first year in this school. He's been doing this at least eight years, I think. Uh, we sat down and we had about a 15, 20-minute conversation about how the church could partner with the school. And in Rockford, at the school he was at, they had several church partners and they did a number of different things. And so kind of thinking about, again, what can one person do, but what also can a body do as it, as it partners, I guess is a really good word, comes alongside a school to help them. He listed a couple things just to get these on your radar so you can begin thinking. One of the things he said was hats and gloves for the fall, winter. So be thinking about that. We don't have, I wrote him back an email after our meeting And I said, you know, let me know a timeline, number, age, gender, that kind of stuff. So that information's coming. I think that's something we can easily do. So that's something even we we can do as a body, but that's also something one person can do, right? You can go out and buy hats and gloves for kids so they're not cold this winter. Uh, And believe me, I think think we're going to need them. (laughs) Uh, The other thing, uh, and he said several other things, but the other thing um, that he said he needed was people to volunteer, I have seven volunteer applications. I'm going to take one and Lydia's going to take one. So I got five more. We can get more if we need them. But you fill it out. They do a background check on you. Hey, welcome to background checks, right? They don't charge for them, which is beautiful. In Montana, when you went to the school you wanted to volunteer, they said you can volunteer, but you have to pay for the background check. They cover the cost of that. Uh, Once you have a background check in any one of the schools in Elmwood Park, you can go to all of the schools in Elmwood Park. You check in at the desk at any particular school with your ID. Of course, you have to have a reason to be there. Uh, But the the thing that he said he needed uh, help with were were kind of threefold. 
first of all, help with the parent-teacher organization. They have a lot of different things going on. They have um, some events coming up where the kids are going to walk, depending on their grade, one, two, three, four, five, six blocks. They're raising money for it. They need people out walking with the kids. They're not going to... The police will probably be around, but the school and the parent-teacher organization handle all of the logistics of making sure the kids are safe. They need some people for that. That's coming up very soon. Uh, they need people to help with the book fair. They need, uh, here's the one that I told Lydia about. She really got excited. They need people to come into the school once a week and read to students. Anybody interested in that? Oh, I see a hand. Okay. And Lydia was like, yes, I want to do that. You know, she's not working this year in a school, but she's like, I really miss kids, and I want to do this. But be thinking and be praying about how you might get involved if you feel like that's something you want to do. And as the church moves towards partnering with them, there'll be a lot more opportunities. Probably at some point, we'll need to get another handful of those volunteer applications. But if you know today that you want to be involved in something like that, and you want to get a volunteer application, let me know. I'll get you one after church. So what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks is what can one follower do? What can one follower do? We're going to be in, um, I'm in Elijah 18. And when you talk about the power of one, uh, you can probably think of a lot of different applications for that in life. I was thinking about the power today of one thumb. Have you ever thought about that? If you didn't have a thumb, how difficult. Could you play the guitar without the thumb? I mean, you kind of need to hold the pick, hold the arm to make, you know, the, the thumb is pretty important. There are a lot of things like that in our body, right? The power of one heart. How about that? <laughs> what could you do without a heart? Nothing, right? One stomach. There are some things that are duplicated, eyes, kidneys, but, but for the most part, God has a lot of illustrations in our body and throughout life about the importance of one. And we're going to read in uh, chapter 18, starting in verse 1, if you'll turn there with me, and begin to talk about Elijah and how he was used by the Lord. Start in verse 1, it says, After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the land. And so Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, go throughout the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover. Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in the other. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you were handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me, go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave. If I go tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet your servant, yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth, he says. 
Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. Now you tell me, go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family have, your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you add understanding to this word today. Lord, teach us from your scripture how to live and how to serve you through the example of Elijah. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a question and a response here. So the, the, the first question, let's, let's read the next two verses, 20 and 21. That first part was background, and it, it sets us up for what's about to happen. It says, Ahab sent word throughout Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah calls the people together. And he asks them a question. This is the question of all questions. This is the questions that all prophets have asked. The question that all apostles ask. The questions that all believers ask. How long will you waver between two opinions? You see, they were... They were, st- they were stuck as a people between culture and belief, between following their cultural norms and the way their culture flowed and following the Lord. Take a look at Joshua 24. It's going to be on the screen, but uh, write these down. Follow along in your Bible as we read them. Uh, Joshua 24, 14 and 15 says something that's very similar. He says, now fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshiped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether gods of your forefathers that they serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then many of us have this up in our house somewhere, right? But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We've made it kind of an art piece. We write that on a placard. Anybody have this nailed up in your house somewhere? You got it on a placard? You got it? Anybody have it cross-stitched? It's one of those things, right? It's a great phrase. It's a great statement. But what I want you to see about that statement is what it was connected to. It was connected to this idea of choosing. This is the statement that that Joshua said, for me and my household, we're going to do this. But he was calling the people to a choice. Are you going to follow your culture? Are you going to follow the religion of your forefathers out of Egypt? Are you going to follow the common belief system of the land that you now live in? Or are you going to follow 
the Lord, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. You have to choose. He's like, choose today whom you will serve. Elijah, like Joshua before him, identified a heart sickness in the people. It's a heart sickness that all of us have, is that the people were divided. They had divided hearts. On the one hand, they wanted to follow a, a cultural idol, but they still have some memory of the Lord, the God of Israel. So on one hand, while they long for a God that they can see, that they can touch, that they can carve, that they can put up on the mantle, that they can idolize this image. While, while on the one hand they long for that, on the other hand they still have this, this heritage of following the invisible God. The God who's alive and active and moves that you can't put your hands on, you can't touch, you can't see. But his activity is evident. So they, they're torn between the seen and the unseen. They're torn between faith in what they can touch and faith in that which they cannot touch. And so Elijah calls them to a choice. Joshua calls them to a choice. And Jeremiah talks about this as well and, and talks about the choice. In Jeremiah 17, 5 through 9, he says this, This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on his flesh for strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That's one choice. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. That's the other choice. Whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Anybody? You're right there. The heart is deceitful. You ever heard that? It, the, 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 the heart wants what the heart wants. You ever heard that? It's true. It wants some stuff, doesn't it? And we cave a lot of times to the things that the heart wants because we're divided. Jeremiah is pointing out that in us there's this division between what the heart wants and what the Lord wants. Paul talks about this. You see, this is, this is talked about over and over again. It runs all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. And the reason is because this is the... This is the situation that we find ourselves in. This is what it is to be human. To be human is to be divided. Have a divided heart. On one hand, longing for that which we can see and touch and feel and have. The things we desire, the things the heart wants. And then on the other hand, the things that the Lord wants. The things that are unseen. The things that require faith. The things that require trust. When the Lord says, go to this place, I'm going to show you to Abraham, and, and I'll, I'll tell you along the way how to get there. Abraham just went. He trusted in that which was not seen. But a lot of times we fall into the trap of trusting that which is seen. We want to be able to put our hand on it. We want to be able to touch it. We want to be able to, to feel it, to understand it, to hold it, to idolize it. 
And we have a lot of idols in our culture. And I'm not talking just religious. Idolatry of time, idolatry of career. We can idolize another person. We can idolize a sport, an activity. There's so many different things that our heart can be divided over. Paul talks about this in Romans when he talks about this internal struggle and conflict in Romans 7. He says, we know the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. See if this sounds like you. I do not understand what I do. Anybody? For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. You ever felt that way? I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Hmm. Now I do... If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Isn't that the truth? When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Whispering, enticing, calling, shining, sparkling. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, Paul continues. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. But I like that first part of 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're divided people. Elijah put his finger on it. Jeremiah put his finger on it. Joshua to put his finger on it. Paul put his finger on it. Jesus Christ came and put his finger on it. Now, in the story we're talking about in this story of Elijah, Elijah knows this. I don't know if he knows it because he recognizes it in himself or the Lord's revealed it to him, or some combination there. But I assume he probably is thinking about it a lot like Paul. He's probably thinking, you know what, I'm divided, so I'm, I'm sure you're divided too. And he issues a challenge. And this is the challenge. Pick up with me. In verses 23 to 25, it says, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. 
since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. Now I want to talk about a couple things here. I don't know if the slides, are we, slides working or? That's all right. It's probably my fault. Some things I want to note here in talking about this. We're going to divide this story in half. We're going to hear the other half of this story next week when we continue. But a few things that I want us to note here that are going to help us in our struggle against the tide of culture. There's one prophet here of God. That's Elijah versus 450 prophets. Overwhelming odds. Elijah took the religious culture on as one person opposing a flood of belief and tradition and history and culture. This has not changed for us today, has it? It hasn't. The days of culture accepting Christianity as an alternative or, or something mainstream or something good, those days have passed. You know, uh, my wife grew up in the South. Lydia, she's not here today, but she grew up in the South and in the South, church, going to church, that was like a, a cultural thing. It was a thing you did. It was important to the community. They went Sunday morning. They went Sunday night. They went Wednesday night. You know, they didn't plan anything on Sundays. There was no travel sports. There was no anything on Sundays. Nobody planned anything. It was for church. Schools didn't send homework home on Wednesdays. I don't know if they, if they ever did that here, but, but on Wednesdays, no homework, no school events, no sports were ever planned on a Wednesday night. Why? Everybody went to church. Those days are past. If they were ever here, I don't know. But in the South, they're gone. Those days are over. We stand in a flood. You and I are alone, moving against a flood of the culture. They are moving in a direction that is opposite the direction that we are moving. And I'm just going to tell you, if you don't feel that, if you don't sense that, you're not doing it right. <laughs> if what I'm saying doesn't ring true to you right now, you're not doing this right. Because everything you do and you say and you think and you believe and you feel in Christ is opposite of what the culture is saying. Just like the day of Elijah we live in that day. This underscores several things to me. While we are talking about what can one person do and how we can be followers of Christ, this part of this message underscores the importance of us sticking together. It underscores the importance of remaining together as a community, of, of locking arms against the tide, against the flow Tides, you know, maybe that's not really a good word because tides go in and they go out. This is more like a flood. It's coming and it's not going to stop. And it's opposite of what Scripture says. And it's opposite of how the Lord leads us to live. It's very difficult to stand as an anti-culture person on your own. But as we stand together, standing for God and against cultural tide becomes more bearable. Elijah was on his own in this situation. Elijah gave all the worldly advantages to the Baals. That's another thing I wanted you to see. Didn't he? He gave them all the advantages. He gave them the, the home field, the home court advantage. 
You go first. You build the fire. 450 verses 1. He did this, I think, it doesn't say in Scripture why, but I think he did this because he didn't have anything to fear. He knew that no matter what happened, he was going to be victorious because he had one amazing God who had called him, who had sent him, who had empowered him, and who he knew would never fail to show up. We have access to that same Lord, that same God, that same spirit that lives within us, within every believer. We have within us, sealed in our heart, the power of the Holy Spirit. At the time we, we become followers of Christ, it says Christ fills us, and then the Holy Spirit comes and lives with us, and it's marking us as a seal, with a seal as a, as a guarantee of an inheritance that we'll have someday. And a lot of times we get hung up on that in Christianity. We're like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm saved. I, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. I know when I die, everything's going to be great, and, and that's wonderful. Uh, but, but do you remember Jesus said, I've come to give you life now, abundant life today. I've filled you with the Holy Spirit now for a purpose and for a reason that use that, that, that power to stand against the cultural tide. But he also said there was going to be trouble, right? Do you remember that? Take heart. There's going to be trouble, but I've overcome the world. I don't think Elijah had anything to fear. He had nothing to fear here. He knew his, his Lord was a strong tower, an ever-present help in a time of need. He knew his God was not a silent God. He knew his God was not an absent God, not an unloving God or an unreliable God. He knew that in the moment when he called upon the power of the Lord, in the calling of the Lord, in the leading of the Lord, the Lord would answer. He knew that the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would show up. So he gave the advantage to the other side, and he did not fear. It sounds kind of scary to be one against the world, doesn't it? Even a small community of believers as a church against the cultural tide of, of what's going on in our country sounds scary. But the Lord says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not fear because I have called you. Do not fear because I have empowered you. Do not fear because my strength resides within you. So he gave the advantage to the other side because honestly, they needed all the help they could get. 450 verses 1 sounds like overwhelming odds. But they were calling upon the imaginary. They were calling upon some religious cultural construct some carved and graven images or idols that had no power and could do nothing. So Elijah gave them the advantage because they needed it, and he showed no fear in the face of overwhelming odds and numbers, for his trust was in the Lord. Next thing he did is he got cultural buy-in. He got buy-in from the cultural bystanders for the rules of the showdown, if you look back with me, after the whole thing is laid out and he says, here's how we're going to do it. Do you see in verse 24 at the very end, it says, then all the people said, what you say is good. Up until that point, they had said nothing. When he said, choose this day, when, when they said, how long will you waver between two opinions? They said nothing. They were silent. 
They were waiting. They were, they were hedging their bets. They were holding back. Are the 450 going to come through? This should be a good game. Let's watch and see what happens. So Elijah got cultural buy-in from them. He said, hey, you know what? We're going to do the 450, and I'm going to do one. Next week when we read the rest, you'll see there's some other things that he does that gives even more advantage to the other side. But the people are like, what you said is good. That sounds good to me. Whichever Lord, whichever God, little G God, big G God, whichever of those answers by fire, he's the big G God. He got cultural buy-in. Here's why this is important to you and why this is important to, I, uh, to me today. People don't care if you're asking, I'm sorry, people don't care if you're answering a question that no one's asking. The people around us in this community, they don't care if we're answering a question that no one's asking. So what questions are people in our world asking today? Those are the places Christianity should intersect. Unfortunately, those are the places we're really afraid to go, right? What kind of questions is our culture asking today? Is sin real? Is sin even a thing? Is there a concrete right and wrong? Is everything gray or is there black and white? Shouldn't I just do what I feel? Isn't this life really about me and my happiness? What happens when I die? Are there any absolutes when it comes to sex, gender, sexual orientation, or are those old-fashioned ideas that have gone? Those are the places sometimes we're afraid to talk, we're afraid to interact, and we hold back. Those are the questions the culture is asking, and instead of answering those questions, we just lob bombs at them. We just throw sticks and rocks at them from a distance. Well, God said, don't do that. Instead of actually talking with somebody, having a conversation with somebody, sitting down and getting to know somebody. Take a page from Jesus. What did he do? Who did he hang out with? Who did he talk to? Sinners. Sinners. <laughs> you remember he said the, the, the righteous, those who are well don't need a doctor. They don't need a physician. Who needs the physician? People that are sick. A lot of times, people don't even know they're sick. That was one of the things we learned in Poland. That's one of the things they talk about with international missions is sometimes you have to tell people the bad news before you can tell them the good news. We just want to charge in with the good news. Sometimes we need to tell them the bad news first because they don't know the bad news exists. But we want to throw bombs. We just want to talk at them from a distance and, and, and hold the Bible up and, and beat them with it. The culture of that day was caught up in idols. They were caught up in images. They were caught up in things they could see and touch and hold. If you've ever been to restaurants around town, you'll, you can find a lot of restaurants that have little idols in them. Have you seen these? A lot of the Asian restaurants, they'll have, you know, a little idol set up in the corner with some fruit and incense and different stuff. That's what we're talking about. These folks that Elijah went to had idols set up. They were focused on what they could see. They were attempting to answer the questions of their day in the power of their own thoughts and desires. And so Elijah went to where they're at. What question were they asking? Is God real? 
Is he just an image? Is he a thing? Or is he something else? They were wavering between two opinions. And he said, okay, let's see. Let's see if the scene, the 450, and all of their things that we're going to talk about next week, we'll see if that can do anything. That can bring about some kind of reaction from a God. Or is God something else altogether? Is he powerful? Is he unseen? Is he mighty? Is he, I mean, all those, those superlatives that we could add on to it. How does the gospel inform us as we have questions and people have questions of us? That's where we have to meet people. Elijah went to where the people were. And he brought with them the power of God. And he had a, an intimate conversation with the city, with the village, with the town, with the people. And he called in the prophets and he said, okay, we're going to have a showdown. That's scary. Anybody? You want to have a showdown? We're going to have a showdown. That's what he's talking about. He's like, okay, I'm going to go out in the community. We're going to have a showdown. You're asking this question. We're going to see if the Lord can answer it. We're going to see how this conflict's resolved next week, but for the purposes of today, I want us to take a look at those, those three or four things that we talked about a moment ago and compare and contrast the heartsick life versus the Christ-filled life. And I want to return to Elijah's question, Joshua's question, Paul's question, Jeremiah's question, which is this, how long will you waver between two opinions? And I want to ask you that today. I don't know if you're wavering. I don't know if you're waffling. I don't know if you're sitting on the fence. The Lord knows. And in some ways, all of us, don't we have momentary doubts and struggles along the way? But maybe you could just sincerely say before the Lord today, yeah, you know what, Lord? I, I'm kind of doubting. I'm kind of wondering if this is true, if this is real, if you are who you say you are. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If something else, then follow that. The Lord just wants you to be all in or all out. And he's not afraid for you to ask questions. He's not afraid for you to go to him and talk to him. He's not afraid for you to seek him. Because if you seek him, you'll find him. He's not afraid. You're not fooling anyone if you think you're keeping it a secret because the one who matters most knows what's in your heart and he knows what's in my heart. So the challenge to live as one, as a follower that can be used by God stands before you today. Take a minute, answer these three questions that were raised by Elijah. Are you standing against the culture or riding with the culture? When you look at your life, when you think about who am I outside of this building, outside of my gathered friends and believers, when I'm at school, when I'm at work, college, wherever, home, uh, am I riding the cultural wave or am I standing against the cultural wave? This is going to help you kind of see where you're at and what you need to do today, how you need to talk to the Lord. Who or and or what are you trusting in to get you through this life? Who or what are you trusting to get you through this life? The people that Elijah went to were trusting in these idols, these images, and these prophets, and, and, and these systems of, of belief 
and we don't know all of the things that they did, and, but the sacrifices and the things that they were doing something. Which pretty much, if you take every religion in the world, you put on one side, you put Christianity on the other, and you say, what's the difference between these systems of belief and Christianity? It's one thing. All of the religions require you to do something. Christianity just requires Christ to do something. And he's already done it. He went to the cross for your sin. He took what was your punishment on his back. He went to the cross. He went to the grave. He carried it for you. He did the doing because we can't do anything. In every other religion, you got to do something. You got to sacrifice something. You got to burn something. You have to give some money. You have to give some time or some effort. You have to do something to earn some kind of salvation or righteousness. Who or what are you trusting in to get through this life? And the last question, are you looking at, listening to, and answering questions that are being asked around you? Or are you just holding your arm out? I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that question. I don't want to, I don't want to engage. Then that's going to be part of what we do as a church. As we engage the community, we're never going to be able to adequately engage the community if we're afraid of answering the questions that are being asked. If we want to stay in a holy huddle and believe what we believe and be happy with that, and go along our merry way, and occasionally somebody will come to church, maybe somebody will hear the gospel and get saved. We can do that. But if we want to see the community transformed, the community's transformed when the culture is transformed. And the culture can't be transformed unless there's a, <laughs> a cultural impact. Christianity v. world. <laughs> That's what happens here. You're watching in the day of Elijah a cultural impact between God and the world. The way the world goes, the way the Lord leads. If we're going to have an impact on this community, we're going to see the same kind of cultural impact happen in our lives and in the lives of this community. Are we ready for that? <laughs> Are you ready for the collision? Brace for impact, right? Hold on, it's going to be a wild ride. All of those things fit. Because when Christianity meets culture, it's always going to be a collision. A collision of beliefs, of thoughts, of faith, of purpose, of vision. I'm going to close right there. Because that's a lot to think about. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but that's a lot. That's a lot to think about. Pray and ask the Lord, where, where does this resonate with me? Where do I fit in as the one that can be used? Lord, transform us and transform me. Uh, you know, that's all I can pray for. I can pray for us, but, but it's, all, it's all on me and the Lord to deal with me. I can't make any of you do anything. It's on you. It's between you and the Lord. So as we pray in a minute, I'm going to pray for a moment. Um, 
when we're done, we're going to dismiss. We're not doing a song today, right? We don't have a song today. We're going we're gonna to dismiss, but you're welcome just to sit for a moment in silence. You're welcome to pray after we close. You're welcome to get up, have some coffee, visit, whatever you'd like to do. Um, but if you want to talk to somebody, you want to grab somebody and say, hey, I need to talk some more about this. I want to pray some more about this. Just feel free to grab somebody else in the room you know, Dave, me, Faith, whoever. I'm not going to name everybody's names. You know who they all are pretty much. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's seek him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we seek you as a church and as individuals. Lord, enlighten us to where we are in these questions. Lord, I pray as we pray through these questions one more time, you'll reveal in us uh, where, we're, where we are in these. Lord, uh, where are we standing culturally? Are we riding the, the waves of culture? Or are we standing against it? Lord, give us the strength and the power to stand for you. Lord, maybe we haven't, or maybe we're not, or maybe we are waffling. Maybe we're, we're, we need to answer that question Elijah's asking. How long will you waver between two opinions? Who are we trusting in, Lord? Or what are we trusting in to get us through this life? Are we trying to do something or be something or, or push through some agenda? Whatever it is, Lord, strip it down. Following you is only about following you. It's not about doing anything. It's not about accomplishing good works or 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 amassing a bunch of good on the cosmic scale of good and bad, Lord. Teach us that. Only you can save. Only you can cleanse. Only you can make us right. Only you can save us. Lord, are we listening? And are we answering? And are we pondering? And are we discussing the questions that our neighbors have? that the people at school have? Are we holding them out at arm's length? Are we throwing what we consider truth bombs from a distance at them, just kind of hoping they land and maybe you'll do something and I don't have to be involved? Lord, I pray that you'll continue to prepare us as individuals and as a church to get dirty, to get messy, to get in a community and among people who have a wide variety of thoughts, interests, beliefs, but most of all, questions. Lord, I pray that you'll prepare us as you prepared and sent Elijah. Prepare us, Lord, for the onslaught of the cultural explosion that comes when culture and Christianity collide. Lord, if that's really what you want us to do and that's really who you want us to be in this community, we know that's coming. Maybe we didn't know this morning when we got here. Maybe it was just in the back of our mind. But Lord, today we know. Prepare us for it. Lord, help us to trust in you. I love in your scripture where it teaches so many times about our role in this process is just to go, just to follow, just to be obedient. That you provide the opportunities. You provide the words. You even, Lord, provide the prayers when we don't know how to pray because we're heartbroken over a people or we just don't know what to say. Lord, it's not on us to do anything. Saving, following you. That's the one thing, Lord, you've said to do. Take up the cross, deny ourselves, 
and follow you. Lord, I pray that we'll do that today. A new and a fresh, Lord, with a new challenge. Lord, we thank you for Elijah. We thank you for his story. We thank you that those stories of what happened in the Old Testament are with us and that how you worked in his life shows how you can work in ours. And so, Lord, we thank you and we wait to see what you're going to do. May we be obedient followers in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.